Thank you very much, and you are listening to the Jazz Focus program on WETF. My name is John Clark, and we are bringing you, I hope, some interesting jazz today. Maybe some you haven't heard, but uh, we're going to organize it around a slightly different theme today. I'm calling this the Big Four. Um, I guess we could subtitle it Chamber Jazz. Uh, Usually when you're thinking of jazz of the 1920s and 30s, you're thinking of a somewhat large group five, six, seven, eight, up to 10, 15, 20 people in the big band era. This is music that was recorded uh, by groups that were not necessarily working groups, uh, with one exception we'll talk about later. Uh, These were uh, jazz musicians who were brought together in the recording studio, providentially, to do some improvising and to play some jazz, go figure. And the three sessions that we're going to be hearing parts of today are united by an instrumentation. Uh, the instrumentation of these sessions are trumpet, reed, usually clarinet or soprano saxophone, guitar, and bass. That's it. No piano, no drums, no other horns. Very sparse instrumentation. It really allowed the instrumentalists to stretch out and to do some interesting things. The first two tunes we heard uh, actually allowed them to stretch out even a little bit more because they were issued initially on, I believe, 12-inch records instead of the standard 10-inch records. 10-inch records would hold two and a half to three minutes of music, and these 12-inch discs would get up to about four minutes or so, sometimes even a little bit more than that. They were typically used for classical music for the longer movements and pieces uh, that you would need to record uh, classical compositions, but occasionally jazz musicians were allowed to stretch out a little bit more, and on some of these recordings, we hear uh, as much improvisation as a jazz musician was allowed on a record until the dawn of the LP in the very late 1940s. 
So the band we just heard was called the Bechet Spanier Big Four, uh, named for its two uh, leaders, Sidney Bechet, who played clarinet and soprano saxophone, and Muggsy Spanier on cornet. And they were assisted by Carmen Mastrin on guitar and Wilman Bro on bass. This was a mixed group. In fact, I think all of these groups are, are integrated in the sense that there are African-American and white musicians as well, which was not something that happened too commonly during the early part of the jazz uh, era, but uh, fortunately did during uh, recording sessions on occasion. The reason I decided to do this was a program I did a couple of months ago now when we talked about New Orleans and the album that was put out for uh, Decca Records by George Avakian, or actually uh, proposed by George Avakian, and uh, eventually came to fruition as three different albums, Chicago, New Orleans, and Kansas City. And on the New Orleans album, there was a session by Louis Armstrong, which featured Cindy Bechet, and one of the tunes, the Cold Card Blues, they did with a reduced ensemble, just the two of them and guitar and bass. And the recordings we're listening to right now are the same instrumentation and the same spirit as well. We're, uh, we just heard Sweet Sue Just You to open the program. That was a tune, a popular tune, that was written more as a ballad, as a very slow tune in the late 1920s. Jimmy Noon recorded that. Uh, and then we followed it up with Squeeze Me, which was credited to Fats Waller. Um, it was actually a takeoff on an older tune, a, um, a dirty tune actually, called The Boy and the Boat, which had more than suggestive lyrics, but Fats Waller produced a version which had uh, some less offensive lyrics and it became a jazz standard. So we heard Muggsy Spanier on cornet. He uh, was, of course, a, a, a native Chicagoan. He was born in 1901, lived to 1967. He was very active in the first uh, wave of young white musicians who adopted the jazz of New Orleans. He uh, made some of the first recordings with uh, uh, the Mackenzie and Condon Chicagoans in 1927. Uh, he went on the road to play with uh, first Ben Pollock, then he went with Ted Lewis uh, in his band. He was with him for quite a while, and from that point he uh, ended up in New York and played with Bob Crosby and his Bobcats uh, prior to join, or actually it was just following a, a short period where he had his own big band uh, that made a handful of records. He also made some great records in 1939 by his ragtime band called the Great 16, 16 sides that really were instrumental in launching the Dixieland Revival, so-called Dixieland Revival. Very influential on the next generation of young uh, musicians who were adopting New Orleans and traditional jazz. Uh, later in life, he went uh, on the road and spent several years with Earl Hines' uh, band. Earl Hines uh, had left his big band behind and was leading a very traditional New Orleans-style band for several years in Chicago and then out in San Francisco as well, and Muggsy Spanier was the lead player in that. And with him we have Sidney Bechet, legendary Sidney Bechet from New Orleans, started as a clarinet player, picked up the soprano sax along the way. He had been around the world a couple of times by 1940 when these sides were, were, were uh, recorded. He had been to England and France in the 1920s. He'd been to the Soviet Union. He'd toured around there. He was in jail in France for a while. Uh, he came back. He made recordings with... Um, Clarence Williams uh, recording bands in the 1920s with Louis Armstrong. He went on the road with Noble Sissel's uh, band in the 1930-31 uh, time frame. He started recording his own series of uh, sort of New Orleans jazz, although a little bit more on the swing side uh, with the New Orleans um, uh, 
feet warmers, as they were called. And he did a long series of recordings for RCA Victor with that group, also with Blue Note Records. These recordings were recorded for the Hot Record Society, HRS, and that probably explains why they were given that extra uh, long period uh, to, to play and to improvise. This was definitely a jazz session. Carmen Mastron was a guitar player who'd played in a number of big bands, uh, including Tommy Dorsey's, and later on he was with the Glenn Miller uh, Air Force Band, made some fine uh, combo recordings in Paris at the end of the war with Peanut Tucko. Uh, he had, at the time of uh, the recordings we're going to hear later in the show, in 1935, he was playing at the Hickory House with Wingy Manone's quartet. And finally, the bass player, a man named Wellman Bro, the oldest man in the band, 1891 to 1966. He was from a very old New Orleans musical family, and he had, of course, done many years playing with Duke Ellington's band during their Cotton Club period and all the way up into the middle 1930s. After that, he sort of semi-retired and stayed around in New York and then moved out to the West Coast as well. He did a lot of combo dates with Bechet and... Um, uh, with uh, Kid Ori's band and Barbara Dane and a number of other groups as well. Very well-matched set here. Sidney Bechet was sometimes accused of being overbearing in an ensemble, but he uh, seemed to respect Muggsy Spanier, who played a very clean, powerful lead, and they worked off each other very well. They had some nice little arranging touches, as we heard at the beginning and end of Sweet Sue, and uh, some very good interplay between the two of them, as well as some great solos. We're going to be going back to the Bechet Spanier Big Four in just a couple of minutes, but before that, we're going to introduce our second group of the day. The same instrumentation from very nearly the same time. This comes from April of 1939, but uh, about 5,000 miles away. This was a session that was done in Paris uh, by a group that was known as Rex Stewart and his Feet Warmers. The Duke Ellington Band was on tour in Europe at this point. It was right before the beginning of World War II, and there were quite a few stories that came out about that. Um, but uh, while the band was over there, uh, some of the musicians were given an opportunity to make an outside recording for the swing label and uh, to partner with the uh, pro great proponent of European jazz, Django Reinhardt, on guitar. So the band was supposed to have been Rex Stewart on cornet, Barney Bagard on clarinet, Django on guitar, Billy Taylor on bass, and Sonny Greer on drums. But the story goes that Sonny Greer didn't show up. Don't know why, but he didn't make it to the date. Um, there were a couple of guests in the studio, including uh, Leonard Feather and Hugh Panazier, who were critics and uh, writers at the time, and they were offered the opportunity to play some drums, and neither one of them said yes. But uh, you will hear a little drums on the first title that we're going to hear. Uh, actually... Yes, the first title we're going to hear. It's Barney Bagard, who's going to be playing behind Django's guitar solo. So we're going to start out with two tunes by this group. One is called Finesse, and that is by bassist Billy Taylor. Now, Billy Taylor had replaced Wellman Bro in the Ellington Band. We just heard Wellman Bro with the previous group. Uh, Taylor and Hayes Alvis briefly were a two-bass combination in Ellington's band. He was experimenting with having two basses, and that lasted a little bit of a while. Uh, and then ultimately, of course, both of the bass players left when Jimmy Blanton came on board in 1939, not too long after the band got back from this European trip. <laughs> 
After Finesse, we're going to hear a standard by Vincent Newman's called I Know That You Know, and, and uh, suitably this will feature Barney Begard and clarinet. This was the first tune that was recorded by Jimmy Noon and his Apex Club Orchestra back in about 1928 or so. And uh, it's been a feature for clarinet players ever since. Benny Goodman has uh, had a wonderful recording uh, from about the same time with his big band of the tune. So we're going to hear Barney Begard featured extensively on that. Uh, we're going to hear Rex Stewart, uh, the leader, playing cornet on both, and of course the great uh, guitar of Django Reinhardt. No one could be mistaken for him. He, uh, his, his playing throughout the 1930s really uh, determined the course of European jazz with his uh, quintet of the Hot Club of France. And it was right at the, be right at the beginning of the period where, of course, uh, with World War II and the Nazi occupation of France, that Django had to somewhat go into hiding. He didn't really, he was still playing in, in Paris all through the war. He wasn't a collaborator, uh, but he was... Um, accepted enough by the German occupying forces and had enough protectors in the in the higher ups of the of the German administration that he wasn't bothered too greatly uh, for being a jazz musician or a gypsy for that matter. So we're going to do finesse and I know that you know and then we're going to go back to the Bechet Spaniard Big Four and we're going to hear two tunes by them, China Boy and Four or Five Times. So finesse, I know that you know, China Boy and Four or Five Times. <laughs> Thank you. 
we have two related groups, um, same instrumentation, uh, a New Orleans reed player and uh, a more of a late 20s or, or swing trumpet player in there as well, I guess if you'd call Muggsy Spanier that. We started out with Rex Stewart and his feet warmers in a April session from uh, Paris, uh, featuring Rex Stewart, Barney Begard, Django Reinhardt, and Billy Taylor, and we heard Finesse, that was composed by Billy Taylor, and I Know That You Know, and uh, both of those featured fine solos by Barney Begard especially, but Rex Stewart was uh, very <laughs> well represented on Finesse, and of course Django on both. Billy Taylor was playing mostly uh, accompaniment here, just playing in the rhythm section. He didn't do too many solos. However, we did get to hear a bass solo from Wellman Bro on China Boy, the next tune that we heard from the Bechet Spaniard Big Four, and a guitar solo there as well. But mostly that tune was a feature for Sidney Bechet. He took three or four choruses outside right by himself, just uh, extending his ideas and developing themes that uh, he really developed through his career. China Boy was a big feature of his, and at the very end we heard some of those triplet figures that were uh, patented part of any reed player's uh, arsenal of, of show-off-y type of figures in the 1920s and 30s. After that, we heard four or five times, which was uh, a tune that was basically a kind of a dirty tune. It was composed by Byron Gay and Marco Hellman, a uh, pop tune in the 1920s, although uh, have to wonder if it didn't have some uh, older blues influences or, or models before that, because it almost sounds like a folk tune. And in turn, it spawned five or, or six or seven times and eight or nine times and so forth. You get the idea. Um, but we get to hear some very uh, impassioned uh, Muggsy Spanier playing on that, as well as some great trades and echoing back and forth between Spanier and Bechet. As well as that, we get to hear some nice backgrounds to a guitar solo by Carmen Mastron. Uh, Bechet also plays a clarinet solo on there. On this date, or these dates that produce these Bechet Spanier Big Five, rec uh, Big Four recordings, he uh, featured himself on soprano sax mostly, although occasionally he picked up clarinet. And one of the wonders of these uh, tunes, I think, is when he played clarinet backgrounds to the guitar solos, which is a really lovely uh, effect that. Uh, I, I'm not aware of uh, being used in any other jazz recordings, but it's used to great effect here. And Bechet was a very sensitive accompanist, uh, despite his reputation as being a rather forceful improviser. So now we're going to go on and hear three more tunes. We're going to hear two more of the Boucher and Spanier sides. Uh, the first one is a, a, a ballad by Henry Creamer and J.C. Johnson called If I Could Be With You One Hour Tonight. And then we're going to go from there to That's a Plenty, an old Dixieland standard, a war horse, as they say. This had been recorded by the New Orleans Rhythm Kings back in 1922, 23, somewhere along there. Um, on the CD I'm listening to, it was credited to Ben Pollock. It was not. I think it was uh, done by Burt Williams, not the entertainer or the, the comedian, but another Burt Williams, I think. Anyway, this is a tune that has been featured by jazz bands uh, forever and ever, and there's a very uh, important trombone part that usually gets played in uh, versions of this song, and having no trombone, Sidney Boucher steps to the plate and takes those notes himself. Following that, we're going to return to Rex Stewart and his feet warmers, and we're going to hear a tune called Low Cotton, composed by the band leader, Rex Stewart. And this uh, really features uh, Begard on clarinet again, and his low register, which uh, was really the um, strongest point of his playing, I think, in some ways. He had a beautiful low register that uh, Duke Ellington featured uh, on any number of tunes from uh, his 
long tenure with the band. Begar joined uh, the Ellington Band about 1928 and stayed with it until 1942. And uh, there were quite a few tunes that were slow and dreamy, including one called the Dreamy Blues, which Begard brought to Ellington. And Ellington messed around with and uh, retitled Mood Indigo. So that same type of sound we can hear here on Low Cotton. If we have time, we might do another one as well, but we'll talk about that when we get there. So right now we're going to hear uh, If I Could Be With You, One Hour Tonight, That's a Plenty, and Low Cotton.
So there are a couple by the Bechet Spaniard Big Four, If I Could Be With You One Hour Tonight, and that's a plenty. And uh, we heard some especially fine playing, I think, on If I Could Be With You from Muggsy Spanier. Very often when he was leading the band or when he was playing the lead horn in a uh, Dixieland traditional ensemble, he would play the melody, and that's about it. And if he got a solo, it would just be an elaborated version of the melody. But here he really dug into the tune and played on the chord changes and created something that was a real improvisation. And then, of course, we heard Bechet doing some fine clarinet playing on That Suplenty uh, and soprano sax as well. It's also had a fine uh, guitar solo by Carmen Master in there as things went by, too. Speaking of fine guitar, we had two more titles by the uh, uh, Rex Stewart Feet Warmers from 1939 in Paris. Uh, we had Django Reinhardt being featured primarily on the last tune called Montmartre, which was a composition by Rex Stewart, as was the first one, Low Cotton. Uh, Rex Stewart was featured on both of those tunes. Barney Bagard had some especially fine playing on Low Cotton, and that featured, uh, in addition to those three, Billy Taylor on bass. So some very fine chamber jazz uh, from that period, and it's uh, uh, an especially fine thing that uh, these Ellington musicians were in Paris at that point, right before the beginning of World War II, and they got the chance to go into the studio to make these recordings with Django Reinhardt, some really classic pieces of chamber jazz. These next two recordings are by the Delta Four, which come from uh, December of 1935. So this is on the early side of the swing era, but in some ways, the most progressive soloist is in this band, and it happens to be Roy Eldridge on trumpet, a great African-American trumpet player. He was playing with the Fletcher Henderson Band at the time. Uh, he was actually subbing on this recording date for the leader of the quartet. This was a working group that uh, was employed at the Hickory House on 52nd Street in New York. It was Winnie Manone's quartet, sort of a crazy New Orleans trumpet player, a uh, one-armed trumpet player who was uh, renowned for erratic behavior and a wild sense of humor. Uh, he was not able to make this recording date because it was for the Decca Company, and he was under contract for Vocalion. He did a long series of, of fun records for them uh, with a lot of great jazz players on them, so he was not able to participate here. So we uh, do not suffer at all by having Roy Eldridge in his place. And with Eldridge, we have Joe Marsala on clarinet, Chicago player who'd uh, recorded and played in Chicago. Chicago, of course, and then came to New York in the early 1930s. Uh, he was mostly known as a small group player, and after William and Owen moved on to Greener Pastures, he took over the band at the Hickory House and had some sort of a group there for about 10 years, mostly playing in this New Orleans Dixieland style, and a little bit later featuring his wife, Adele Gerard, on harp. Kind of an interesting group. We'll probably revisit at some point. But this is a, a very jazzy quartet called the Delta Four, playing two tunes, uh, Swinging at the Famous Door and Farewell Blues, featuring Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Joe Marcella on clarinet, uh, Carmen Mastron on guitar, we just heard him with the Bechet Spaniard group, and Sid Weiss, who was a white bass player who played quite a lot of big band uh, sessions in the 1930s, including uh, Benny Goodman, Louis Prima, and Artie Shaw. In fact, he's in some films with the early Artie Shaw band. And so this group will play these two tones, Swinging on the Famous Door and the Farewell Blues. So... Before we uh, set up those tunes, I'll say my goodbyes and thank yous for being with us today on WETF, the jazz station, South Bend, Indiana. You've been listening to the Jazz Focus, and my name is John Clark. Hope you've enjoyed this program, and hope to take a listen to my podcast, also called the Jazz Focus, uh, on Anchor.fm, and hope to see you again very soon. So right now, we'll take you out with Swinging on the Famous Door and the Farewell Blues. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you.